Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on April 2nd, 2021 from my mom's dining room table in Silver Spring, Maryland. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. And just a heads up, we're not dropping a pod on Tuesday because like I said, I'm up here in Maryland for a little, maybe a long Easter weekend, seeing my vaccinated family and my three nephews. So give me a break, people. Give me a break. (laughs) This episode features an update on how millions of dollars have already been spent to bring thousands of South Carolinians internet access. And we learn about how more money is going toward the effort to connect areas with little to no broadband in the state. We get the latest on medical marijuana, look at what the state is doing to strengthen our medical supply chains, and get an update from the CDC on travel guidance. Additionally, we want to hear your stories, so we set up a voicemail box to hear from y'all about life during these uncertain times. Leave us a one to three minute long voicemail at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on in your world, 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is ongoing, widespread, and not contained, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 8,092 confirmed deaths, and currently there are 466,318 confirmed cases being reported in all 46 counties as of April 2nd at 4 p.m. Hospitalizations, ICU admission, and ventilator numbers have plateaued over the past several days, and currently 470 patients are hospitalized, 116 are in intensive care, and 48 are on ventilators. Our current seven-day moving average remains lower than our previous seven days. On Wednesday, the same day that all South Carolinians 16 and older became eligible for the vaccine, DHEC announced that the state also surpassed 2 million doses administered, with 1.3 million people having received at least one dose. We're currently at 17% of the population fully vaccinated. And with the first Phase 1B folks set to receive their second shot soon, this number will start climbing a lot higher. And DHEC reminds us that certain public health recommendations like masks and physical distancing can begin to be relaxed once 70 to 80% of the population is vaccinated. Remember, we're at 17%. So until then, it's important for everyone to continue to wear masks and physically distance. lead of our politics section talking dollars and making sense that's right we got the russ mckinney here with an update on the state's finances as the budget process ramps up in the senate money matters like the state's pandemic economy how that's affecting state tax revenues and how much medicaid funding should be available in south carolina all issues at the forefront this week for state lawmakers in columbia In the first week of April last year, state officials were fearful that the growing COVID pandemic would turn the state's then-booming economy upside down and possibly lead to a recession. A year later, those fears have subsided. South Carolina has fared better than expected during this pandemic. Most of the negative impact has been concentrated in the hospitality sector. Fortunately, the federal stimulus funds have more than offset the loss in total income at this point and that we have avoided most of the fiscal problems that have been experienced in other states. 
Appearing before the Senate Finance Committee this week, Frank Rainwater, the director of the State Office of Revenue and Fiscal Affairs, borrowed the famous beginning from a tale of two cities to describe the past year, saying it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Rainwater reported that in April last year, 275,000 jobs were lost in the state. The critical hospitality and tourism industry shut down. But he added that due to the federal stimulus program, personal income actually spiked over the past year, leading to a growth in consumer spending. As a result, our sales taxes continued to grow. And after the stimulus came out, PPP loans continued, sales tax just continued to increase. We were expecting a small growth, about 2% growth in sales tax. It's growing better than 7.5%. And with the additional stimulus here, sales tax is going to continue to do well, at least through this fiscal year. And because of that, instead of freezing spending or even having to cut state services as feared a year ago, the legislature could find itself appropriating a record amount of money in next year's state budget that goes into effect July 1st. Tax revenues are expected to increase close to $500 million, and the state share of the new American Rescue Plan approved by Congress is expected to be just over $2 billion. A contingency budget for next year is pending, but lawmakers are planning on redoing the budget plan in May or June to include the expected new revenue. That new federal American Rescue Plan offers more incentives to states to expand Medicaid spending if they choose to. Democrats in the Senate this week said the state should join some 38 other states and expand Medicaid. It could impact an additional 200,000 more people in the state. The federal government would pay 95% of the state's total Medicaid expenses for two years instead of the 70% it currently pays. That would mean South Carolina would gain about $600 million from existing people on Medicaid, according to the Associated Press. Senator Ronnie Saab of Kingstree said giving more lower-income residents access to health insurance can increase preventive care, which then holds down the cost of health care. We still have people in South Carolina right now who do not want to incur bills if they can't pay the bills. And so what better way for us to empower persons to take care of themselves than for us to expand uh, Medicaid? Governor McMaster, however, rejected the idea of accepting the Medicaid expansion, calling it too expensive. Uh, we would be getting federal funds to begin with, but then in just, I think, two years, and we start paying about $200 million plus a year, and it goes up and up and up. McMaster could accept the Medicaid expansion with the stroke of a pen. But like previous Republican governors in the state, he maintains the future expense to the state would be too great. Thanks, Russ. Some encouraging news right there. And with even more money on the way and encouraging national job numbers, well, it looks like I'm not the only one planning a hot girl summer here. <laughs> Sticking in the State House, the House of Representatives was on spring further this past week, and it was a short week in the Senate, where members were only in on Tuesday and Wednesday. But we did see a good bit of activity, especially in committees. The big surprise was the medical marijuana bill moving through the Senate Medical Affairs Committee to the Senate calendar. Beaufort Republican Senator Tom Davis has been crafting and fine-tuning this proposal over the past seven years, and we have been here before. But now he says he not only has the votes to get the bill over to the House, but also by the crossover deadline on Thursday. 
Well, it'll be read uh, across the desk probably uh, on Tuesday of next week. It'll be on the calendar for 24 hours on Wednesday. And I, I intend to start pushing for a vote on it immediately. I mean, I intend to get a second and third reading on this bill before the crossover deadline and send it to the House. We cannot wait any longer for these people to have their suffering alleviated. It's immoral. We understand there is objective medical proof that this could be a benefit to people. We can't stand in the way. The federal government is saying to the states, you've got a green light. Congress every year passes a budget proviso that says none of the money we appropriate to the Department of Justice can be used to, to challenge medical cannabis laws in the states. The executive branch has said green light. The Department of Justice is instructing the U.S. attorneys, do not prosecute any states that have legalized this for medical purposes, cannabis. The courts have done that, the federal courts. No federal court has struck down a state cannabis law. So when you've got the federal government, the Congress, the executive branch, and the judicial branch all saying to the states, this is up to you, I don't understand this argument that somehow we can't do it because the federal government says it's wrong. And by the way, for those who feel that way, where were they when we passed the heartbeat bill? Because the heartbeat bill is against Roe v. Wade. The heartbeat bill is against the law of the land. And individuals in there who said that they have an oath to uphold their constitutional oath and they can't vote against a federal law, they didn't have any problem voting for that heartbeat bill because they thought it was right. If somebody thinks it's right, you take the action. Law enforcement continues to wring its hands at this bill, worried that marijuana will be diverted, something that would be a felony offense under this bill, whereas simple marijuana possession is just a misdemeanor. So, not telling you what to do here, but <laughs> one is worse than the other. Now, did I mention you don't even smoke marijuana under this bill? Yes, it's just for marijuana oil. There would be secure cultivation centers and tightly regulated dispensaries that, again, would only be available to people who have at least one diagnosed debilitating disease, such as cancer, MS, epilepsy, or a handful of other diagnosed ailments. Davis gave some more detail here. You've got various establishments that are licensed by DHEC. You've got cultivation centers, which grow the cannabis. You have processing centers, which, which put it into a form for consumption. And then dispensaries, which actually dispense the cannabis product to the patient. Um, you've also got independent labs that have to come in and test the product and to label. So it is a completely regulated process from seed to sale. Um, and, and again, um, we've had the benefit. I mean, one of the things about having 50 states, it's like 50 laboratories of democracy. You can see what works. You can see what hasn't worked. You can look at the laws in other states. And I have spent the last seven years looking at the states that have passed the best medical cannabis laws, looking at what some of the unintended consequences were, looking at what's worked, looking at what hasn't worked. And I've come up with a bill that I feel like is a template for any state that wants to say patients ought to have the medicine that the doctors think they ought to have, but at the same time, it's not going to be a slippery slope toward recreational use. Because I understand what South Carolinians want. They want doctors to provide medicine to patients who need it, but they don't want to be on the slippery slope to recreational. This bill does that. So to recap, no burning leaf, tightly controlled supply, you have to have a diagnosis, and the system would be revenue neutral and only generate money to fund the program. There'd even be money that would go to drug education efforts as well. And vast majorities of South Carolinians support medical marijuana, and even Governor Henry McMaster is coming around to it and the chairman of the Finance and Judiciary Committees have signed on as co-sponsors of this bill. So a lot of support here, some unprecedented, and we'll be following this closely for you next week. And as we go, the governor issued an executive order this week that directs the Department of Commerce to enhance recruitment efforts of pharmaceutical and medical supply manufacturers in the state. And it directs state agencies to focus on procurement efforts of medicines, medical devices, and other supplies made in the state.
The new initiative will safeguard the state from supply chain disruptions experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic by working to manufacture even more essential life-saving products in South Carolina. Now, this comes after a February 24th executive order by President Joe Biden to perform a security review of America's supply chains. And I just read a great Economist article on this. It's called Global Supply Chains Are Still a Source of Strength, Not Weakness. So if you've got an Economist login, check it out. The U.S. labor market continued to improve in March, according to the Labor Department, with the unemployment rate edging down to 6% from 6.2%. MarketWatch leads off with this. Restaurants and other businesses hired the most workers in March in seven months as the U.S. added 916,000 new jobs, signaling the economy is primed for a period of rapid expansion again. The news outlet continued saying the jobs explosion in March easily exceeded Wall Street forecasts. Economists polled by Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal had forecast a 675,000 job increase. Hiring in February and January was also much stronger than previously reported. So some good news for you right there. And we're going to continue the good news talking about broadband. But let's start from the beginning. Last year, lawmakers allocated $50 million of CARES Act funding to expand broadband through providing hotspots and internet service to some 92,000 families with school-aged children in the state. Of that money, the bulk of it, $29.7 million, was allocated for actual broadband infrastructure expansion efforts, with $17 million being spent to bring internet access to nearly 20,000 homes, businesses, schools, and healthcare facilities in 27 counties. Now, companies were required to cover 50% of the costs and received CARES Act dollars for the other 50%. The goal of these projects was to emphasize services to rural communities in areas with high prevalence of COVID-19 or with demographic characteristics consistent with risk factors for the pandemic. Now, that remaining $12 million that was unspent for the program was reallocated for other COVID expenses. And here's a project I don't think we've really talked about much. The Allendale Broadband Pilot Project, which launched last November, with the goal of being able to see how rapidly wireless internet infrastructure could be deployed by using existing state assets to a community that did not have any internet access. The Office of Regulatory Staff, which is overseeing broadband expansion efforts in the state, partnered with several organizations, including SCETV, to design and deploy a private LTE fixed wireless network with two of SCETV's towers, bringing internet to 1,000 homes. Now, this is in addition to several public Wi-Fi hubs in the county as well. Now, let's nerd out just a little bit. Now, this is called the Citizens Broadband Radio Service. It's a band of radio frequency that was made available for commercial deployment in January 2020 by the Federal Communications Commission. The Allendale Broadband Pilot Program is one of the first CBRS deployments in the nation. So that's some pretty cool stuff right there. Again, Wi-Fi to 1,000 homes that didn't have it before. Before I rattle off some more programs that are underway, South Carolina Public Radio's Scott Morgan recently looked at how the lack of broadband is affecting vaccine rollout. Also, I love how Scott introduces this piece, so listen up. Anybody remember the 90s when we all thought the information superhighway was just high-tech nerdy cosplay and it wouldn't become the oxygen of the human societal ecosystem? Yeah, big swing and a miss on that one. Broadband, internet access is a huge issue 
This is Kathy Schwarting. She's the CEO of Palmetto Care Connections, or PCC. PCC is a nonprofit centered on broadband access to rural and underserved communities. And the reason broadband internet access is a huge issue is this. With the vaccine and having to go online to actually register to get the vaccine, you're impacting folks that don't have internet, but you're also significantly impacting the seniors that live in our community. That's not ageism talking, that's hard data. Pew Research Center, for example, just a few years ago found out that as you look at internet and smartphone access over age 60, the percentages drop precipitously as the years pile up. My aunt, she's probably in her mid-70s, and she was telling me that she got her vaccine. And I was like, well, did you have a difficult time, you know, going online and registering? She said, Kathy, I don't have a computer. I don't have internet. Schwarting's aunt ended up calling DHEC directly and made clear the point that registering online was not an option for her. They said, come on out to our office. We'll register you in person, and then you can get your vaccine. But unfortunately, I don't think that's happening in a lot of areas. Leaving aside the fact that not everyone has a ride to a DHEC office, experiences like Schwarting's aunt's highlight for tech advocates that for all its benefits and all its reach, the internet does zero good for people who can't get to it. And not just to register for a vaccine, but to even know where and when vaccination sites might be. Because the easiest, broadest, and most efficient way for health agencies to get that information out is social media. Social media works for some, but it doesn't work for all. Davia Smith is PCC's Director of Education. She says that while the pandemic cements that the internet is a necessity, the coronavirus also makes it clear that relying on a technology that is not in everyone's hands is catastrophic. In rural areas in particular, where the very concept of reliable internet is almost a sick joke, getting the word out about vaccines has gone analog. You're going to actually have to meet people where they are, whether it's in line at the food banks, in the parking lots at the grocery stores, or the libraries, sending letters home to the to the parents, going to the Office of Aging while they're, you know, picking up the elderly for their doctor's appointments, whatever it is that, you know, you can do. We can't stay behind the computer screen and expect everything to get done. South Carolina's federal lawmakers are working on getting wider broadband availability. U.S. Senators Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham co-wrote a $121 million rural broadband expansion bill for South Carolina that the FCC granted in December. Meanwhile, over in the U.S. House, Majority Whip Jim Clyburn last month reintroduced a $100 billion package to build permanent, essentially universal broadband infrastructure across the country. But until help gets here, there's an awful lot of people in this state who, as Senator Graham put it in a statement, might as well be on the moon when it comes to getting high-speed internet service. And residents who are poor, or poor and rural, have had to rely on near-guerrilla tactics to get connected. The perfect example of that is putting hotspot on a bus and parking in a rural area. That's a good temporary kind of a band-aid, but it's not a good long-term solution. Graham Adams is the CEO of the South Carolina Office of Rural Health, or SCORE. How do we make sure that the need that has been spotlighted during this pandemic drives some long-term solutions? Various agencies in the state, like PCC, SCORE, and the South Carolina Rural Innovation Network, are right now working on this very question. A federal grant is allowing the agencies to build a digital map in Williamsburg and Barnwell counties that will identify ways to get Internet access directly to two communities with extremely limited broadband and extremely limited digital literacy. 
Adam says that while digital literacy is a key component to broadband equity, it is important to remember that lack of tech knowledge in underserved areas is not a lack of want. It's not a matter of, of want on their end. I think it's been a matter of lack of availability and then lack of affordability. Adam says he hopes the drive to bring equitable broadband access to underserved communities that's run so hot in this pandemic doesn't die with it. Thanks, Scott. Now, this past week, we saw two more broadband developments. Governor Henry McMaster awarded $6 million in his Governor's Emergency Education Relief Funds, called GEAR Funds, which came via the CARES Act. This money went to the University of South Carolina, who, in partnership with Benedict College, will establish eight Apple computer labs statewide. These labs will be located for use by local school districts, historically black colleges and universities, the South Carolina Technical School System, and citizens in those communities. The network will include hubs in Columbia's Bull Street District and at Benedict College, as well as six satellite labs at USC's Palmetto College and regional campuses, which are located within 50 miles or less of a broadband desert. And finally, the Office of Regulatory Staff just opened up the application process for the SC Rural Broadband Grant Program. Thanks to $30 million from the State Department of Commerce, the program will provide financial assistance to install and deliver broadband infrastructure in unserved areas of 14 eligible counties and 15 contiguous counties. This will also be a one-to-one match for providers and the state. And did I mention that there's like $30 million for broadband efforts currently in the House approved budget for next year? Yeah, we're talking a lot of money for broadband here, people. And don't forget, the state is receiving $2.1 billion from the American Rescue Plan, which lawmakers will allocate soon. We're talking about a lot of money, a lot of money. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention released new travel guidelines Friday for fully vaccinated people. The updated guidance came in light of studies that show the real-world effectiveness of the vaccines and come as more than 100 million Americans have had at least one dose of the vaccine. Here's CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky on Friday. I want to acknowledge today that providing guidance in the midst of a changing pandemic and its changing science is complex. On the one hand, we are telling you we are worried about rising cases, to wear a mask, and to avoid travel. Yet on the other hand, we are saying that if you are vaccinated, evolving data suggests that traveling is likely lower risk. The science shows us that getting fully vaccinated allows you to do more things safely and is important for us to provide that guidance, even in the context of rising cases. At the same time, we must balance this guidance with the fact that most Americans are not yet fully vaccinated, which is likely contributing to our rising cases. And that means we have to continue to reinforce messages about the critical importance of COVID-19 prevention measures. Now, while traveling on a plane, train, bus, or other modes of interstate transportation, you do need to wear your mask. So if you're vaccinated, you can travel at a lower risk. But Walensky still doesn't recommend it. 
So I would say generally, um, we know that travel was up from the month of March, um, more so than it had been since the beginning of this pandemic. We know that right now we have a surging number of cases. Um, I would advocate against general travel overall. Um, our guidance is silent on recommending or not recommending fully vaccinated people travel. Our guidance speaks to the safety of doing so. Um, if, you're low, if you are vaccinated, it is lower at risk. Dr. Anthony Fauci provided an update on emerging data on vaccines in adolescents. Now, there's still a lot of data that needs to be gathered, and there should be more information on children being vaccinated in the future. Here's Fauci. The goal, obviously, is to vaccinate the entire population. And children and adolescents make up about 22% of the population. And emerging data suggests that vaccination can prevent asymptomatic coverage. We're doing further studies to nail this down. In a study of adolescents, we did a study most recently in which it was shown to be literally 100% efficacy in which 18 cases of COVID-19 was seen in the placebo group, and again, no cases in the vaccine group. Currently, there are studies underway in children that go from six months to 11 years. And by the end of this year, we should have enough information to be able to safely vaccinate children of virtually any age. So the bottom line message is that vaccines work very well in the real world setting. They work against variants, although we need further data to confirm that. They are durable for at least six months and they work in adolescence. Very, very good reason for everyone to get vaccinated as soon as it becomes available to you. So something to keep an eye on there, as nearly 3 million doses are being administered a day, vaccine production rates continue to increase, and oh yeah, all South Carolinians are now eligible for the vaccine aged 16 and older. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. So tell us at 803-563-7169. Leave us a message with your name, where you're calling from, and a little bit about what's going on in your world. And we might just get you on the pod. 803-563-7169. AT, what you got? What we got in the hopper? The hopper we got? We got some messages. Uh, We got a call (laughs) from someone up in Rock Hill. So, yeah, rock thrill. Rock chill, baby. <laughs> so <laughs> without any ado, let's get to it. Let's play it. Guitar riff. <laughs> Hi, Gavin and AT. It's Gavin AT Finger out of Rock Hill. Probably for several reasons. Um, number one, like you guys, I would really like to check out of this Hogan seems to have with y'all's looks. Um, he can keep going with it if he wants, but I'm really kind of bored with it. Number two, and the very dearest thing to my heart, ever since I heard about Mink's diagnosis, I've been wanting to call to offer my prayers and my support to Meg, not my sympathy. Um, As a breast cancer survivor, Meg, I just want to say to you, and I know you're going to understand what I mean when I say this, girl, hang in there. We love you. Gavin and AT, you guys are so good at creating a sense of community among us Love Laugh leaders that I feel like Meg is my friend. Number three, I hope it's okay to ask a question. Um, It's about something that's coming up in the future of the state of South Carolina, and I'm hoping that 
you two guys, um, being dedicated journalists, might be able to um, enlighten me and maybe some of the other um, listeners. And it's about Sine Die. Um, number one, I think I have a lot of assumptions about Sine Die that I hope you'll clear up. I assume that it's like the same thing as Sine Die, which is Latin for without day. I do know that in a lot of legislative bodies, that means that they're not um, committing to a certain date that they have to come back for various reasons. I'm assuming for the state legislature that that's because, you know, some of the guys that weren't reelected won't be coming back. Um, but I don't know that. That's an assumption. And I don't know at all, and I'm curious about, is what happens to bills when um, – Signy die happens, do they get carried over to the next session, or does something special have to happen for that to happen, or do they just start all over again? Um, that's something that I really don't know and I am very interested in. But the other thing I'm kind of interested in, if your journalistic investigative um, services work, could you possibly find out why they started saying signy die instead of sine die? Um, it's kind of humorous, and I do. It just always tickles me when I hear it. Um, and I'm hoping that maybe we might know some kind of funny story about some guy that didn't know what he was reading or something. But anyway, thank you guys so much for everything that you do. Absolutely love you and all my fellow Love Laugh leaders. Bye. Well, that was an, a lovely little surprise from our Rock Hill fangirl. Good to hear from you again. Love it. Love that we're... We're getting rid of Logan and his his negative energy. And, oh, worst energy. <laughs> and we love your support, too. We love to hear that you're a survivor, too, up there. And I know Meg appreciates that. I just had lunch with her the other day, and she is doing great. Her chemo is responding well. She's getting through that uh, just fine. Uh, she has an updated prognosis, which shows her cancer is a little bit more aggressive, and she'll have a lot of treatments over the summer. So um, obviously not crazy about that, but um, we're taking it one day at a time. She's in good spirits. We're all staying positive and like you say hang in there you know that's all we can do one day at a time is the way we're approaching this so she's hanging in there but i also want to talk about the sunny die discussion here too so I, you know you were correct talking about it's without day and uh i don't know why we don't say it more like the latin way i think that's just gonna be a stretch for south carolinians i think they say sunny die everywhere <laughs> though um but you know this is in accordance with state law so um, our last day of session is signy die, which according to state law is no later than 5 p.m. on the second Thursday in May. Now, lawmakers do pass a signy die resolution that allows them to come back after that date to take up gubernatorial vetoes, uh, to deal with the budget, and also to deal with bills that were passed right at the end there. Um, you know, they can come back for these conference committees, which is when a representative, uh, which, which is when representatives from both chambers meet in a committee to compromise on a bill that is already passed. Um, so let's say a bill gets passed by the House and the Senate, but the Senate passes a bill back to the House that has some weird amendments that the Senate doesn't, the House doesn't agree with. They have to clash over it, they compromise over it, and then they come up with a working bill that gets passed out of committee back to the chamber. So all these fun little things that get to happen after the, the last day of session, as well as we're saying, you know, budget vetoes and maybe vetoes by the governor if a bill gets passed on the last day. They can come back, and if they want to vote against it, overturn it, they can do that. So things happen in the off session, and that's what this Sunday Diet Resolution allows them to do. Um, and especially like we were talking about this year, we expect to be back dealing with the budget because of all this extra money coming in. Uh, we'll be doing that into June, it sounds like. 
And of course, we were talking about redistricting at some point, but the census data has been delayed until August, it sounds like. So uh, that's all up in the air right now, too. And you asked about bills. What happened to bills after Sunny Die? Well, right now we're in the first year of the two-year session. So, you know, whatever, wherever a bill, wherever a bill is in the process, if it's just filed, if it's in a committee, if it's on the calendar, wherever it lands on at the end of the session on Sunny Die, that's where it stays basically until next January. Yeah, it, so, it doesn't go back to square one. It's it sort no, of picks that's what up happens. where it left off. Yeah, that's what happens after next year. So this this yeah. year's crossover day, this year's sunny day, it's like, okay, well, if it doesn't make it this year, you always got next year. But uh, and that was what the big and that was the big deal last year too, because last year was the you know, the end of the two year session and a lot of things were up in the air and then you know, we were out in March, you know. <laughs> so yeah. Everything got thrown out the window that year. So Good questions. Good questions. Yeah, definitely love that. And uh, we'll be ramping up as we march towards May thirteenth. But then you know it's never going to end. So, <laughs> yeah, the off season it, it, it never, is never not what it stops. used to be. <laughs> it's not what it, oh, it's not what it used to be, be anymore. <laughs> let me let me tell you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if I was supposed to uh, some more updates on me, I was supposed to get my second dose of Moderna on Thursday, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. life happened. Things happened. Life got uh, found a way. And because we were taping two This Week in South Carolina shows, and uh, I had a flight out of Charlotte, so it was kind of hard to factor in getting back to Darlington Raceway to get my second shot. But I'm actively looking to schedule another one. I see plenty of open appointments out there in Columbia, so I'm not worried about this. And so if this happens to you, again, no big deal. Just try and get it scheduled within two weeks of missing it. Uh, That's the time frame that's been studied. It's still going to be effective beyond that, they say. Uh, But the sooner, the better. And of course, you need that second one if you need to get a second shot. So... You got to get the second shot. You got to get it. I mean, what's the you point? Got, of, you gotta, you're going to you love the way you look. Yeah. And yeah. I also, I mean, I'm, I'm not looking forward to see what happens, like, you know, symptoms from it, but I will I will keep you updated to see how that, that works out. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I do. We can't tape today. <laughs> you're like, you got to do it. You got, I can't. I can't. <laughs> uh, and like I said, I flew out of Charlotte on Thursday and that was a, a different experience, you know? Yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine being in like a, a floating breath tube <laughs> with other people. <laughs> You know, like well, I'm they not, say the I, air I, I'm through. fully vaxxed. I don't know. I don't really want to do it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, it's you know, it's always it was gross before. It's grosser now, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> At least we have that's what I'm on, saying. So it was disgusting. Not, you know, um, and I got the middle seat too. That was a treat. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I was you. You, um, I found this out when I was at the bar in my terminal, and you can get a can of beer from the bar and drink it at the gate. That's that's cool. Now they say. However, really? you can't take the can, you can't drink it on the plane. You can you can travel with it to your destination, but you can't open it. Wink girl meme. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean they're not going to let you do it in your seat. So, I mean, I guess one could go to the bathroom and shotgun your beer at altitude <laughs> perhaps. Now, the lead is not saying now the lead is not recommending doing this, but I mean, it's not going to set the smoke alarm. Let's just say that. <laughs> but everything else, I mean, other than that, it was uneventful. No one freaked out. <laughs> I mean, for better or for worse, I would have enjoyed that for a yeah, little I would, bit. I would like really. to see. I would like to see a meltdown or something. I don't know. I, I would have rolled audio, so we would have had that experience. Oh, totally. Together. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's all I got for me right now. Hanging out at my mom's house. So we're gonna miss you guys. Uh, yes. Next, next week for the first day. So Tuesday we're not gonna have a pod, but. Uh, call in, call in, and, and tell yeah. us what you're doing. What you're doing for Easter? If your family's been vaxxed or something, and you're finally getting together, like let us know yeah. how that went. 
Uh, is it Definitely. still annoying? Like, did it wear like the the novelty of it wear off after ten minutes? Let me let us know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're traveling, what you're doing, let us know. We are interested. Um, AT, you have anything to add? Nah, just take it. Out. Wish your wife a happy birthday. Oh, it's Caitlin's birthday. Yeah, it's my wife's birthday. She's working though. <laughs> so oh, happy birthday, so Caitlin. You're the you're <laughs> happy the birthday. <laughs> Lead says happy birthday. Lead says happy birthday, Caitlin. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening and uh, for all your. All your support, all your calls, all your reviews continue to show us your love by leaving us a review on iTunes or giving us a call 803-563-7169 and you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org and don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina Lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Mom, don't talk when I'm recording. Mom, don't just stop making noise in there. <laughs>